Thanksgiving is Thursday, and for all of us in all reality, I want us to just, just agree on one thing this morning, okay? Gratitude is hard, all right? Gratitude is hard. It's not our type of thing. Like everything in America is bigger, faster, stronger, bigger, badder, better. Everything is pushing, and gratitude tells you and me, let's just calm down. Let's pause. Let's reflect. Let's be thankful. Let's not actually do anything, all right? Let's just be thankful to God for who he is. You saw the pictures behind you. Uh, one thing that, that nobody says in their life is they're planning their year, is they're planning their summer schedule. Nobody says, I want to go to Parlier for vacation. Right? That, that, that's not a sentence that is said in your house. And if it is said in your house, it's followed by the same laughter that you had. We don't go to Parlier for vacation. If you're here from Parlier, if you're the mayor, Congratulations. Great. Like, we eat the food that comes from your city. And one of the places that we enjoy eating it isn't in Parlier. Uh, it's in Pismo. Like, that, that's where we go for vacation. That's where we strive for. That's where we want to be. Nobody's like, man, I could love some Parlier grapes right now. Everybody's like, I want to go to the coast. I want to go somewhere else. I want to do something else. And Thanksgiving tells all of us in a real practical one day set aside for an attitude that should, it, like, fill up the whole year. Slow down. Let's be grateful. Gratitude is hard. We always look at what else is out there. You get a new car, and by the time you leave the place where you bought it, you're like, ooh, I could get a newer new car. And then the engine could even be bigger, and the dual exhaust could be louder and dualier. Like, that's a word now. But, but gratitude forces us to slow down, forces us to reflect. And as followers of Jesus, Jesus does two things about gratitude. First is he invites us into it. He gives us a model to follow. He says, this is how it's going to be. In the most loving way possible, he says, this is how we're going to do gratitude. When God created the world, six days, things happened. He spoke things out. He worked for six days. And then not because he needed it, but because we needed it, he did nothing on the seventh day. He rested. It's a day of gratitude. So Jesus gives us a model, but what Jesus also does, instead of just saying you should do this, is he gives us reasons to be grateful. So today we're going to look at four reasons that we have to be grateful as Jesus followers. If you're in here and you're not a Jesus follower, this place was built for you. So if you feel like you're out of place, nobody's out of place except for the person who thinks, I'm too good, I don't need to be here. And then as soon as the reality that you're not hits your life, boom, you're right back here. This place is 100% for you. So what does Jesus invite us into around Thanksgiving? And what reasons does he give you and me to be grateful in our lives? The first reason is that we can know God personally and have a relationship with him. We can know God personally and have a relationship with him. In the Bible, uh, the, the New Testament, that's the second part of the Bible where we're going to be for the whole day today. The New Testament talks about Jesus. The first four books are biographical accounts about things that Jesus did and places that he went and ways that he talked to people, ways that he interacted people, with people. Jesus is God with skin on. And so the way that Jesus answers questions, the way that Jesus talks to people is the way that God would talk to people because Jesus is God. So if Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. And so one night, there's a guy who comes to Jesus. And in that day, the world stopped when the sun went down. For us, you just turn on a light. They didn't have lights. So the sun goes down, and there, there, there's nothing to turn on. So when nobody's looking and nobody knows, 
a guy comes to Jesus because he has some questions. He's a religious leader, and something inside of him isn't right. So he wants to know about knowing God personally, and his name is Nicodemus. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, just as humans come into the world through natural biological life, you have to be born again. And he thinks of himself, and he thinks of his mom, and he, he asks a further question. He's like, what does that mean? Because he can do the math. And Jesus explains to him really easily and really good. To answer his question, is it possible? Is it good for me? Is this actually for me? And Jesus even being there is, is God answering the question, yes, this is possible. Yes, it's for you. Because God left heaven, lived on earth in the person of Jesus to answer questions like this, but also to provide the answer for questions like this, to be the answer for questions like this. And so in John 3, 16, which the media team is going to put up on the screen, Jesus answers this, guy, this guy's question. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Like those words are, are, are capitalized on purpose. God loved the world. The guy who's coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, he's got an understanding that God likes these people and God hates everybody else. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. God loves the world. It's not general in God's opinion. It's specific down to the individual because God can count the 8 billion way faster than you and I can. So he says, I see all the people. And I love them individually, knowing them by name. So how does that get reflected? It's through God giving. It's a sacrifice for relationship. So that, the reason, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a promise for this life and the next life that Jesus came on a mission to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have a personal relationship with Jesus, with God, because he wants one and that's why Jesus came. So that you and I can have a relationship with God in this life and the next in heaven. And that means that we can know that life after death will be joyful. We know that life after death can be joyful. You know, I, I think in the English language, there's four really scary words, right? You hear these, and life doesn't continue as normal. There's a record scratch in your brain when you hear these four words. Somebody walks up to you, they're not smiling, or you get the text, and there's no fun emoticons or gif afterwards, you just open it and all it says is, we need to talk. Right? Like some of you have that feeling right now and you're like, this is not going to be good. When he closes the prayer, I'm out of here. He's going to close his eyes. He's not going to see. You know when you don't freak out about that? Is when you feel like you're fine. When you look at your life and the life of the person who's texting you to that, and you can honestly say, I got no reason to freak out right now. I got nothing to hide. Everything's good. They need to talk. It must be about them. It must be because they've got something that they want to share. That isn't code for busted. It's when we feel like we're blameless. There's a confidence that comes from God coming into the presence of people so that people could come into the presence of him where, where God saying we need to talk is actually a good thing. 
Like Jesus came into the world to be the answer to that question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to have a solid, life-giving, loving relationship with God? And so that when God says we need to talk to us, it's a good thing because he talks all the time to us. He talks through the book that he wrote because he loves you and me. He talks through his Holy Spirit communicating to you and me. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through people. So God wanting to talk to us is a good thing. There's a guy in the, New, in the Old, yeah, New Testament, just a couple years after Jesus, who wrote something about this, talking about how we can know life after death will be joyful. Life with the God who wants to talk to you and me is going to be joyful. It's in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Like, that's good. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege in God's presence because of what he's done for us. Like, how does that happen? That happens because of the last verse that was on the screen. That this is how much God loves the world. He gave Jesus. So everyone who believes in him won't perish but have eternal life through Jesus. You can think, man, that, like that, that's a lot of joy. Joy in this life. Peace in this life. Joy in the life to come. Peace in the life to come. For all eternity. And then after that, your thoughts start to trail off in your head. Because you know your life. You know you got scars. Like I, we look at the Bible and there's going to be no pain in heaven and no crying and no regret and no sadness. And we think like, how is that going to work with me? Like how does my life work with this? How does my life get to the point where what was on there a little bit? Therefore, because of our faith, Christ Jesus has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can confidently enter into sharing God's glory. Well, the reason that Paul can write these things isn't just because he, he learned them, isn't because he earned it, isn't because he lived this way and then God loved him. It's like he graduated. It's because he experienced it. The reason he can do this is because he experienced that we can forgive others who have hurt us. This is the third reason that Jesus gives us to be grateful, to be thankful in this life, in the life to come. In our life circumstances when they're good, in our life circumstances when they're bad, through every season, Jesus says we can forgive others who have hurt us. Like this is what the, Paul, the guy who wrote these things, this is what brought him into the kingdom. It's not what got him there. It's not like how he earned it. This is what invited him into a relationship with God. Every time I talk about Paul, I say the same thing. Because for every time we say it, there's somebody in the room that it gravitates towards, that it hits home for them. Paul hated Christians until the day he became one. He looked for the hypocrisy. He looked for the wound. He looked for the reasons why what they were doing, how they were living, were never going to matter to him. Were never going to be something that made a difference in his life. In fact, he did the opposite. He wanted to destroy and wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And then one day, he's traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's going from Israel to Syria for that exact purpose. And God shows up. There's a bright light that shines on him. He goes blind. And in the voice of Jesus, he speaks into Paul's life. He says, why are you persecuting me? 
not just my people. Why are you fighting against me? And so Paul goes from, a, goes from a mission to kill people to being blind and being led by the hand into the city of Damascus. And he gets to Damascus. And this is what happens. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord, the Lord said, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from, Saul, from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and throwing hands. Like that would make sense because Ananias is a Jesus follower. Paul went to, Paul went to Damascus to kill Jesus followers. And now he's there blind and Ananias has an opportunity to, to like protect his people, to take out the person who wants to take you out. But that's not what it says. I've shown him a vision of Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. It's forgiveness towards people who have hurt his people. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord God said, okay, so right now you know a correction is coming. The thing is, is everything Ananias had said up to this point about why Paul deserved violence and separation and everything bad, everything that Ananias had said was true. But God has something better. The Lord said, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. It's a picture of how God sees you and me. Ananias and Saul were enemies because of Saul's sin. So what Ananias doesn't do is he doesn't cancel and pretend like it never happened, like the things that Saul had done had never happened. He doesn't bring it up. He brings it up to God and says, this is exactly why I don't want to do this. And God says, no, I'm going to change him. And your responsibility is to live like he didn't hurt you. I think in our lives, for us to extend forgiveness to the people who have hurt us, it doesn't mean that we pretend like nothing has happened. Because that's, an un, that's not smart stewardship of our lives and the influence that we have by bringing people around us. We can forgive people and we can not call them back. We can forgive people and we can call the cops. We can forgive people and not let them into our lives because forgiveness isn't for them, it's for us. Jesus forgave us for us and he calls us to forgive for us because we're not able to carry the burden of the sins, the things that have been done to you and me. God is. Forgiveness is saying, okay, God, I'm going to let you handle this. So if Ananias goes to Paul, who's blind, and instantly he regains his sight, takes out a sword and stabs him, Ananias is going to wake up in the presence of God, and what's God going to say? No, he's going to say, you did it. You did exactly what I told you to do. And for you and me around forgiveness, what we're doing is we're asking Jesus to carry it. We're asking Jesus to carry the ways that people have hurt us. We're asking Jesus to carry the wounds that we carry. 
It's what God does for us, and he sends us out to do that for others over and over and over again, to be men and women of forgiveness, for the church to be a place of forgiveness, a place where somebody walks into a city as a terrorist and leaves as a brother because Jesus stepped in and changed everything. We can forgive others who have hurt us. And then the last reason, the last gift from Jesus is we believe that God really can change our lives and others' lives that have been destroyed by alcohol, drugs, crime, prison, hatred, brokenness, etc. Like this type of thing is all over the teachings of Jesus that he changes people, that he changes us. Paul, the guy who wanted to kill people and then he goes blind and then Ananias prays for him. He can see again. He goes from terrorist to brother. There's a different point where he's writing in 2 Corinthians. Let's bring that one up. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that everyone, anyone, all the ones who belong to Christ have become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. One of the guys who walked around with Jesus and saw all these things uh, through his own eyes says this in 1 John 1.9. Let's go to the next one. It says, if we confess our sins to him, God is faithful and just. That means he's dependable and he always does what's right to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I love those lines. Like the old is gone to forgive us and cleanse us from all wickedness. Let's put this in the framework of Thanksgiving, okay? This week, I'm going to eat a lot. And the way that I do it is I'm not the guy who walks out with a huge plate after round one and then like tuckers out somewhere around halfway through and falls asleep, but there's still stuff on my plate. That's just never worked with me. I do a responsible amount, and I go back for like 18 trips, right? Who has 18ths? I have 18ths. But at the end, everything's gone. Nothing's left over. When a guy says because he experienced it, my old life is gone. My new life has come. When a guy who walked around with Jesus and saw the way that Jesus interacted with people and says that he is forgiven, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all wickedness. You know what Jesus does? Jesus cleans our plate. There's nothing left over. It's not like we, give, we bring so much to him and he tuckers out around the mashed potatoes and he says, man, I, I can't touch your sexual sin. I can't take your, touch your substance abuse. That first marriage, like, that, that's, that one's on you. Any sense of brokenness that we have on our plate, any sense of brokenness that we inherited and received because of things that have been done to us that ended up on our plate, Jesus cleans the plate. All of it. Forever. For everyone who asks. And there's nothing that we can do to stop that. We invite Jesus in, and Jesus comes in to clean everything. He cleans our plate. There's no leftovers to save for later. There's nothing that's going to get thrown away. He says, I'm going to clean all of it. That's why we have to be thankful. Because Jesus invites us into a relationship with God in this life and the next. A relationship that's joyful for all eternity. A relationship that's marked by forgiveness, not just for us, but for those people 
whose lives touch ours and, and knowing that nothing that we experience, nothing that we walk through will break and destroy and limit God's restorative work in your life and mine. Why? Because he cleans our plate. He wants to do that for us. Let's stand and pray.